This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It's been said of yesteryear that love is a many-splendored thing. Love is nature's way of giving and a reason to be living. The golden crown that makes a man a king. Two lovers kissed and the world stood still. Then your fingers touched my silent heart and taught it how to sing. As the song says, yes, true love's a many-splendored thing. So how do we move from a many-splendored thing to a many-splintered thing? From a many-splendored thing to a many-splintered thing. Relationships all over the country and the world are in an increasingly splintered position. Why? How could that be? And how could it be even among professing Christians? Well, there's a reason. One reason is that we're not perfect. I know you are, but I'm not, and our guest today is not, so therefore the majority of us are not, except for you. In a perfect world, there would be no need for apologies. The world is imperfect, though, and we can't survive without apologies. While justice may bring some sense of satisfaction to those of us who are offended, justice doesn't restore relationships. The only thing that restores relationships is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And so today we take a look at forgiveness or unforgiveness moving from splendid to splintered, the splendored thing of love, to the splintered thing of broken relationships. How can we restore relationships? That's the important thing. God sent forth his only begotten son in the fullness of time to restore a relationship. That's right. He would forgive, but he wouldn't forget. He wouldn't hold our sins against us, but he wouldn't. He would forgive us if we would confess those sins and turn from them. How about in our own relationships? How about in your marriage, my friend? Would it make a difference if there was more forgiveness, more genuine apology? Well, that's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint, and I trust that there are going to be some listening to our program here today whose marriages or other relationships are going to be dramatically improved, perhaps restored, as a result of our conversation here today with our special guest, Jennifer Thomas, who is joining us, I think, for the first time here on Viewpoint, a cohort co-author with Dr. Gary Chapman, who has joined us so many times here on this program. Jennifer, it's good to have you. Well, thank you, Chuck. I'm excited to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, your your book is titled The Five Apology Languages. Now, uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I speak English as a first language. I tried for several years to learn French. I can speak just a bit, parlez-vous un peu de français or so on. But right. five languages, what are you talking about? How many languages do you speak? <laughs> well, I'm in the same boat with you. I know just enough French to get myself in trouble. And I, I 
wish I had learned a more practical language because I haven't been able to use my French very often, and it's quickly leaving me. Uh, I understand. <laughs> we could say fermer la bouche. What does that mean? Uh, it sounds like you're hungry. No, actually, it means shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Now, there, there are a lot of married couples out there that are saying that to one another, aren't there? <laughs> there, there are, and I've heard some uh, kids say that to each other in English as well. Yeah, well, they usually use the shortened form of it, shut up. Uh, but uh, so. that isn't going to bring about a lot of relational encouragement and fostering of relational longevity, is it? You've got that right. I mean, when what we know is if we open our mouths and if we walk through life, we're going to offend people. It's inevitable. But the problem is that those offenses cause barriers between us and others. And if we aren't apologizing, then we aren't doing the work to move those barriers out of the way. And before you know it, Chuck, you've got a wall between yourself and others. You know, uh, when I was growing up as a kid, uh, we were told to say, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, the response could very well be, you're right. You're very sorry. (laughs) <laughs> it could right. be a sarcastic response. So saying yeah. I'm sorry doesn't mean very much, does it? It doesn't because there's no or very little acceptance of responsibility with that. I can be sorry something happened to you without saying that I had anything to do with it at all. I'm just sorry you're going through that. Or sorry and that I'm feeling bad about what you're sorry about. Right. Or sorry I got <laughs> caught is what I'm most sorry about. Right. Um But the problem is that none of those really accept responsibility, and so it does fall short. And I'm now teaching parents to use a different phrase. I say, instead of teaching your kids to reflexively say, I'm sorry, I prefer that you start with, I apologize, Mm. which creates a nice foundation on which any of our apology languages can be built. Well, that's a huge improvement on saying, I'm sorry, and of course, Uh, The apology is the initial step to forgiveness, which is what we're ultimately looking for, isn't it? That's right. When we mess up, we know that we need to be forgiven. And it it feels terrible to be stuck without forgiveness. We berate ourselves. We say, oh, you did it again. You shouldn't have done that. And when we're given the gift of forgiveness, really what's happening is there's a transaction. We're acknowledging what we did wrong and To ask someone to forgive us is really to ask them to carry the penalty of what we did and to not keep throwing it up in our faces. It's a pretty big ask, and if people are willing to do that for us, then we want to be sure that we're changing so that we don't keep making the same mistake. No question about it. And forgiveness without an apology is often encouraged for the benefit of the forgiver rather than the benefit of the offender. But that kind of forgiveness doesn't lead to reconciliation, does it? That's right. Your point is well taken. And in fact, Gary Chapman and I did a study of the original Greek and Hebrew around forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And we found something kind of challenging. Um, What we found is that there's no place in the Bible where we're told to forgive an unrepentant person. So we need to be looking at what is their heart. And if we're waiting for them to repent, then there's a different word them forgiveness. It's forbearance. And that is where we are releasing them to God. We're making sure that we're not growing hateful or doing things out of hate and anger towards them, but we're holding the doorway open for them if they do change. 
Well, that's interesting because Jesus made one of the most uh, frightening statements probably in the whole Bible, that if you will not forgive others their trespasses against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. So what you're really saying is that doesn't mean your willingness to extend forgiveness, but that doesn't mean you forgive them when they're not uh, repentant, but you, if they are repentant, you are willing and must forgive. That's right. And it's, it's become confusing because people teach and preach forgiveness no matter what the posture is of the sinner. Uh, but if we go back to the original Greek and Hebrew, sometimes it was clear that it, it did say, if they repent. Mm. And sometimes that got lost in the translation to yeah. English. Uh, but well, we're going to have to pick up on that after this break because okay. that's going to dig a, a really deep hole out of which we're going to have to climb for a few minutes. We'll be right. right back after this, friends. Five Apology Languages It's going to be yours in your hands in just a moment. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. Our viewpoint determines destiny. Our viewpoint concerning the matter of how we respond when we are wronged or when we feel like we're wronged may determine destiny. May determine the destiny of your marriage. May determine the destiny of your relationship with your children, your grandchildren. Uh, Who knows how many people out there are offended, even within our churches, Pastors offend the people, the people offend their pastors, the people offend one another. It is unbelievable how broadly the offense continues. In fact, uh, Jennifer, I don't know if you were aware, but uh, I practiced law as a trial attorney for 20 years uh, in the Los Angeles Superior Courts, and uh, 40% of my practice was in the broader area of family law. And 80% of my clientele were in the broader body of Christ. And if there was any issue that drove my clients into the courts, it was this issue. Refusal to forgive. Or refusal to even acknowledge that you've wronged with an apology and ask for forgiveness. And therefore, relationships were destroyed utterly painful. God said, in fact, Jesus said it was because of the hardness of their hearts that God permitted divorce. And so this is a big, big deal, isn't it? Well, it is, um, Chuck. And your background is very interesting. Uh, I'm glad that you shared that. And your point is really well taken about the problem of unforgiveness and of the bitterness that can grow. There's also this deep desire that we have when we have been violated in some way. Um, we want to receive an apology, we want to receive amends, and what we say is that that is part of our God-given nature, that we believe in justice, and we want to see wrong righted. All right, so justice then is set almost in opposition to forgiveness. 
On the one hand, we want to be reconciled with forgiveness. On the one hand, we want justice. And justice oftentimes is an expression of the flesh rather than of righteousness, and it deprives us of reconciliation. It's certainly complex. Um, And what we do is we try to help people understand when you have that need for justice, um, that's not Satan. That is actually something God put in you so that you would know right from wrong. Well, God is a God of justice. That's right. And so we're reflecting God's character when we call for justice. But if we require justice over mercy, we've gone over the line to the flesh rather than the spirit. And the two are intention often. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Bonhoeffer talked about you don't want to have cheap grace. Right. And coming back to the topic of forgiveness and um, does it require repentance? And what we found was in the Bible, there's not an exception to that. We were never told to forgive someone who will not repent, but we should certainly be praying for them and holding the door open when they're ready to walk through it with repentance. You know, it's interesting you should put it that way, because as people would come into my office, and by the way, uh, I did practice for 20 years, but it's been 28, 25 years since I practiced law. I'm practicing the law of God here, even right now, as we're talking about it uh, on Viewpoint. But what I discovered is that people, uh, professing Christians, would would come into the office, and they had this idea that somebody had offended them so much, their spouse or whatever had been done, that notwithstanding the fact that they would be willing to repent, they were unwilling to forgive. But here's how it played out. In California, we had a twofold means of responding to uh, a broken marriage. One was what is called a dissolution of marriage or divorce. The other was a legal separation. And the California legislature afforded those two opportunities for one reason. And that is they knew that in a Christian nation or a Christian foundation nation, that divorce was a huge deal and was not pleasing to God. So they were affording the opportunity legally to take care of many of the issues that would have been taken care of under a divorce procedure under legal separation, but you could not remarry. So when the clients would come to my office, I would ask them very pointedly, explain this to them and say, now, I need to ask you very directly, let's suppose that your husband or your wife were to come to you and ask for forgiveness, would be repentant, Uh, are you willing to allow this marriage to be restored by the Lord? Now, that was the question. Now, here's the situation. In California, if you're willing to do that, maybe the best thing for you to do is file for legal separation. It'll take care of support issues and custody issues and things like that while you're waiting for God to work on the mind and heart of the other person. But if you're not willing to do that, don't pretend that you are and then wait for your spouse to file for a divorce. You're pretending before God. And I think there's an awful lot of this pretense that goes on 
in the name of, uh, shall we say, trying to be faithful to the Lord, when deep in our own minds and hearts, we're not willing to forgive. Challenging, for sure. Very challenging, for sure. But that's where the rubber meets the road. Even when the courts of men, the legislatures, afford that kind of opportunity, and you refuse to seize it, what does that say? Yeah, and your point is really well taken. (laughs) It is very hard for people to stand ready to work on things and to forgive. And it comes back, I think, to those barriers that are built one brick at a time. Mm -hmm. And so the people are coming to you, I imagine, and saying, I've got this whole wall. It's cemented in. I, I don't feel ready to take the next step. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, our God is a God of miracles. Well, and he so, is. Yeah, that's where I, I hear that you were inviting them to that and to being open to what God might do. Open to allow God to work in both of your hearts by faith. The problem is that since the 1960s, with the uh, uh, elevation of feelings as the far final arbiter of truth, uh, feelings have become our Lord. And therefore, it's very, very tough for Christians to uh, live by faith rather than by their feelings. There's a yeah. pregnant silence on the other end. Well, I... I agree with with what you're saying. It's a sobering truth, and I've watched it happen and develop uh, from Southern California and all across the country. Uh, We don't have time to go into the history of how that happened, but it began at the end of the 1960s and the 1970s and uh, resulted in the God is Love movement that reneged on the God of truth, the God of justice, in favor of the God of mercy, and uh, he will wink at your sin and therefore you don't really need to be forgiven. Mm. All right. Yes, not, Go ahead. I also think of um, God as love. You know, the the one who created us in love and who wants us to be Christians where the world will know us by our love. Exactly. And so coming back then to Gary Chapman's five love languages, what we know is that people have a deep need to feel loved, appreciated, and valued, and when they do, then their love tank is full. Well, but the challenge... I like what you say. My wife repeats that constantly. Talks about the love tank. Of course, tank she's is, read all yeah. of Gary Chapman's books. So. It's, a, it's a powerful image, right? Yeah, it yeah, really is, and it's so head. important. Right. Uh, yeah, I need a deposit in my love tank, dude. Can you speak my love language, not your love language? That's the trick, is to turn it around and get out of our own way or out of our own shoes and to speak their language back to our conversation about French. And then what occurred to me as I looked at that and as I thought about these barriers that we have between us and others is that people actually have the same kind of thing with what they want to hear and an apology. Mm -hmm. So I have something I'm waiting on. But if you just say, I'm sorry, and then you check it off and move on because you did the thing you thought I wanted, right? then my problem is that I'm, I'm left here thinking, well, sorry isn't enough. Well, it's, sorry, it's, like, uh, it, it's like the, the old phrase, uh, words are cheap. Uh, right. don't, don't tell me how sorry you are. Show me. 
it's show-and-tell time like uh, the kindergartners have, show-and-tell time. And oftentimes, that really is what wives are looking for from their husbands. Don't just tell me, show me. Like the Missouri, the show me state. Ah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that, so that's why waiting. they're all in misery there, because there's too little showing. <laughs> Maybe so, exactly. Okay, just so being We're waiting for the thing that will show us their sincerity. Yes. And the problem is that we don't go around and find what they need. And so I realized, oh, this is just like the five love languages, mm-hmm. where I've got an expectation, but I don't always share it. And I really need you to speak or do it in my way. So let's talk about it. And so that's what we're sharing with people now. And what Gary Chapman has said is that these two types of languages, apologies and love, stand together as the two essentials for healthy relationships. There's not one that's head or shoulders above the other. Mm-hmm. That we really have to have both if we're going to have those healthy relationships at home and with our friends and in the workplace. Well, if love is going to be a many splendored thing, there's going to have to be apology and then forgiveness. And uh, that's the, the essence, the bottom line of your book. But how to get there, that's what your book is about, isn't it? Agreed. Yes. We want to help people in our book to know how to give an apology that's really going to hit the mark. Mm -hmm. And sometimes interviewers will start off by asking me, well, Jennifer, what's the best apology? How do we do this? Well, it's like asking me what's the best way to show love. I would say, well, it depends on what they're waiting for. Mm -hmm. So this is the new thing that nobody else is talking about except the two of us. We're saying the best apology is the one that is in their apology language all right now just very quickly to refresh all of our uh memories concerning the five love languages they are yes they are giving gift physical touch spending quality time together Mm -hmm. doing acts of service for them and finally and this is actually gary chapman's love language is words of affirmation Mm mm-hmm Words of affirmation. Well, we all need a bit a, a, a touch of all of those things, but some need more of a touch of uh, words of affirmation. Some need more physical touch, and uh, some uh, need more gifts of service and so on. And when we learn to discern the needs of the other person in that regard, it helps us then to know how to approach them with regard to a request, an apology and and actually a request for forgiveness, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. We want to give them what they are waiting to hear. All right. Five apology languages, the secret to healthy relationships. $15 is going to put the book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We'll get the book in your hands. It is a life-changing book. It's an encouraging book. It's an inspirational book, and perhaps even a correctional book. All of those together, expressing regret, accepting responsibility, making restitution, planned change, and requesting 
forgiveness. All of that. What a blessing this is. And uh, how is it that you and Gary uh, Chapman decided to uh, uh, collaborate, uh, collaborate on this? Well, we live in North Carolina, both of us, mm-hmm. and I had met him through work and through some networking. But the idea actually came out of my own marriage. Hmm. I was having a disagreement with JT one night, and my apology didn't satisfy him, and we talked it through. You know, it's kind of hard to live with a psychologist because they won't let anything go. Uh, but I'm glad Well, they that have we to psych- psychoanalyze everything. <laughs> That's right, yeah. we got to talk everything to death. But we talked and talked until we realized that our insight was helping us in terms of what he needed to hear from me. And we Mm -hmm. thought it might help others. All right. Well, we'll be right back with uh, Jennifer Thomas right after this. Stay tuned, my friends. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website. SaveUs.org. That's SaveUs.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at SaveUs.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. In a world that's more divided than ever, it would seem that perhaps genuine apology coupled with forgiveness might just make the world a better place. But we can't start with the world. We have to start in our own homes. We have to start in our own lives. Edmund Burke once made a statement that I can never forget. He said, I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I should do, and by the grace of God, I will do. Well, if there's anything that we should will to do, it's to forgive, to apologize, to admit when we are wrong, and then to forgive. But why is that so hard? Why are apologies so hard? And why is it so many apologies seem to be, well, empty, totally empty? We want to talk about that here in our segment today with our special guest, Jennifer Thomas. Why is that, uh, Jennifer? Why is apology so hard for so many? It kind of goes against our uh, fleshly nature, doesn't it? That's right. Pride certainly gets in the way of our apology. Yeah, if if we're asking someone to forgive us, it can be scary. In a sense, it's like we're getting down on one knee in front of them Mm -hmm. and saying, I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Well, what if they say no? Then we've really laid our heart on the line. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't want to risk being rejected. That's right. 
we don't want to risk being rejected, embarrassed, humiliated. And some people were taught as children that it's not good to apologize, that you'll appear very weak if you do that. Um, but the opposite is actually true. If you think about a mentor or someone who you really respect, chances are that if they need to apologize, they'll give a really good apology. And so I say you can teach old dogs new tricks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and that's what your book is about. It. That's right. We say it's never too late to learn to use one, two, three, four, or all five apology languages. And then watch for people's reactions. And chances are that you're going to be surprised by how well they respond to you. In fact, I've got a, a quick example here, if I may share. This is a uh, pastor grandfather mm-hmm. with whom I consulted. And uh, he was not very practiced at apologizing, and it was taking a toll on his relationship with his grown kids. And so I By the way, with- many pastors are not prone to apologize. Oh, you said it, not me. You know why? <laughs> why? Pride. <laughs> Oof. Pride. Mm. They're now, perceived I- to be know-it-alls. How could I possibly be wrong? And if I were to admit that I was wrong, I would lose my authority. Oh, yeah. And that sounds true. (laughs) uh, As the college kids I have would say, that checks out, Chuck. Mm. Uh, And I'm not a preacher's kid, but I'm a preacher's grandkid. And I'm a preacher's kid and grandkid. Oh, my. You're like a double PK. There you go. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) I'm a triple PK. Really? Yeah. Going All back. the way back. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's neat. Um, so this preacher's kid uh, was so taken by her dad trying out this apology that uh, we had worked on that she wrote him a note, and he shared it with me and allowed that I could have it to share as I go about doing this work because he wants others to see what can come from it. So she wrote just briefly here, Dad, you made a brave step in the right direction last night when you apologized. I appreciate it. Keep going with it. The more you admit you're wrong, the more respect I have for you. Wow. Yep. Now, and see, that went right contrary to the grain that he thought in his own mind. Yes. That he had to hold on to his respect rather than gaining respect by doing the right thing. Which is a paradox. And the Bible is full of paradoxes, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really is. And you know what a paradox is? It's a pair of docks, and you have to decide which one you're going to take your boat into. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Okay. Um, This matter of sorry, it's been said, well, it's never too late to say, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Well, what we're really talking about here is not saying I'm sorry. We're talking about making a true and genuine apology, because just to say I'm sorry is a way just to say, I don't feel good, I don't feel comfortable about what's going on here, so I'm just going to say I'm sorry to try to make it all go away without admitting any fault, without really clearing the air, and, well, I just want to buy a little peace for a short period of time by saying I'm sorry. What's wrong with that? Right. That's such a good point. Um, We need to go beyond our reflexive saying I'm sorry to something that sounds more sincere, because that's what the other person is waiting and trying to figure out. Do they really mean that, Mm -hmm. or are they just trying to get out of being in trouble? And so we do want to hear other things. Some of us want to hear you say, I 
I was wrong, like this grandfather in my example. Other people will say, talk is cheap. I'm waiting until you make amends to me and make me whole again. Because when you're willing to sacrifice your time or your money, that's when I'm going to know that you really mean it. And then building on that, one of our apology languages is preventing a reoccurrence by changing the plan. Mm-hmm. And this is so important because if you're repeatedly making a mistake, then the other person is going to run out of patience with you, and they're going to find it more and more difficult to offer that forgiveness. And so they want to know, how are you going to stop doing this? And as I work with businesses and office managers, I find most of them say this is the most important thing because they're sinking our ship with their mistakes, and Mm -hmm. we need to know how they're going to head that off. And then finally, some people will say, well, that's all good, all of those other things. But the cherry on top that I'm really waiting to hear is that you want to know if I'll forgive you. And don't assume that I'll forgive you this Mm -hmm. time. And then another thing that's really important with apologies is to avoid the common mistake. Oh, now we're going to go for the jugular here. Right. We are all (laughs) just braced and waiting after an apology for them to say, but... That's and, exactly the word I was going to use. Yeah, that's what that's what we do. And <laughs> please forgive me, but but it erases everything that we just said. Mm-hmm. As you know, it makes it a non-apology. And so I'm encouraging people just strike the word "but" from your vocabulary, speak up to that point, and then stop. Do you know that uh, the word "but" is one of the most serious words in the Bible? Yeah, uh, there's a synonym for it. It's called nevertheless. Okay. Uh, and the promises of God and God's purposes are all clearly stated. But Israel continually said, but. Right there in the Garden of Eden. Satan asked uh, Eve, well, did God say that you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Yes. But, how did she say but? Oh, because she agreed with Satan's interjection of the but that you'll be like God. In other words, he put a spin on the reason why God said what he said. And a lot of us put a spin on uh, this whole issue of uh, forgiveness and apology, don't we? Yes, that's true. We go in there and we might start to offer an apology, and then we want them to share the blame. And so we might say, but you did this. Or we try to explain ourselves, Mm -hmm. and that backfires because it sounds like an excuse. And so I'm actually creating a boundary where I tell people, you know what, if you're apologizing, you're apologizing. I don't even want your explanation up in there with your apology. Save that. You can share it an hour later, a day later, a week later, and come back and say, you know what, I want to circle back to when I apologized yesterday. There was some some more of that situation that I, I wanted to explain I thought might be helpful, but I really didn't want to detract from the honesty of my apology because I thought you deserved that. But mm-hmm. let me see if I can tell you now. And that will sometimes be more successful for people. Well, it's difficult to admit and own up to your own wrongdoing, isn't it? Well, yes. That's why repentance, that's why confession and repentance are so amazingly difficult. 
And isn't it interesting that we've laid the foundation for this false reconciliation, even in our churches, by not preaching about sin and repentance? Anymore, it's all come and be healed. Come and be healed for the consequences of your sin. No necessity for owning up to it and repenting, because, after all, we're all broken people. Isn't that how it goes? Yep, that's that cheap grace. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. Yeah, we need to acknowledge what we've done wrong um, and then ask for forgiveness, whether it's from God or from other people. All right. So when you ask for forgiveness, actually, you, you... there's a two-step process, as I understand what you're saying. First is the apology. You're owning up to you have a fault, you've done something wrong, whether it was morally wrong or relationally wrong, whatever, offensive, you've done something wrong, and you apologize for that. Then that apology has to be backed up with, will you please forgive me? Yes, that's the cherry on top. That Mm -hmm. for some people, what we found in our study was for 3% of people, they need to hear that in order to really hear that you're sincere. Now, for the majority of people, they don't require that. But if you're in a marriage or a work relationship with someone who does, then it's important for you to discover what they need to hear. Well, how do you know? If they don't say, yes, I'll forgive you, then how would you ever know? They might just be hiding it in their own mind and heart and allow bitterness, a root of bitterness, to begin deeper and deeper and deeper into their own heart. Yes, and it's a parallel with the person who doesn't share what their love language is. And maybe they feel that to share it would be too demanding or too high maintenance. Hmm. But the opposite is true. You know, you're knocking yourself out trying to love them or trying to give a satisfactory apology, but you just don't know what the words are that are really going to hit the mark for them. Well, you say that forgiveness is costly, and uh, I want you to be prepared to respond to that after the break. Friends, we're talking with Jennifer Thomas, co-author of the book, Five Apology Languages, The Secret to Healthy Relationships. What a helpful and holy book. That's right. $15 will put it in your hands. You talk about restoring our marriages and strengthening them. Here it is. On our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, and call us. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
It was said in a generation last past, love means never having to say, I'm sorry. Do you remember that phrase? Love means never having to say, I'm sorry. Really? Where did that doctrine come from? It's contrary to all of human nature and contrary to the Bible. Wow. So, Jennifer, where do you think that kind of thing comes from? Love means never having to say, I'm sorry. Right. Well, we know it was the macho men in the movie that said that. It doesn't make it true, um, but it it worked well as a a movie title. But what's going to really preserve our relationships and keep our family strong is the opposite. It's saying, I'm sorry, I apologize, and using all five apology languages if we don't know exactly what the person needs to hear. All right, and let's repeat those those love languages, which you're calling now apology languages. There are five of them. Yeah, there are five of each. So five ways that people feel loved and appreciated, and then our new content, which you're so kind to let us talk about, Chuck, and share with your listeners, is the five apology languages. And just briefly from the top, those are expressing regret, accepting responsibility, making restitution or amends, having planned change so you won't keep doing it, and finally, requesting their forgiveness. Well, it sounds like uh, a very healthy biblical outlook. Is there anything about it that's not biblical? I don't think so. Yeah, people should ask themselves, right? They should run that through their filter and through the scriptures and be ready to say, you know, how do these line up? That's exactly what I did with my psychology training. And mm-hmm. I became a psychologist said, how does this line up with scripture? And is any of it untruthful? Um, and what we stand behind, and Gary Chapman as a Baptist preacher um, has checked, is that everything that we are sharing today we believe is both sound scripturally and will be practical and helpful for people uh, because people are really hurting these days in their relationships uh, at home and away. And people are really looking for some new strategies they can try when they feel like they've already tried everything. All right. So... Let's talk about this. This is a very interesting aspect, and that is, is it possible to apologize too much? It's kind of like uh, what Shakespeare said, uh, methinks thou protesteth too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you apologize too much, and why would you do that? Right. We do talk about that there are people who are over-apologizers, and they probably are doing it because they want to avoid conflict, mm-hmm. and they believe inside that if they just apologize, it'll make it end, make it go away. Uh, But the problem is they will come to resent that over time if they're apologizing, but they don't really think they needed to. And also other people may cheapen their apologies and have a sense of, you know, they do that all the time. It doesn't mean as much as when it's said, when it's, it's really called for in the situation. Some may justify it on the basis that they think that it's an expression of humility. Uh, apologize, apologize, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, and it may appear that way, but it may also be a substitute for the unwillingness to deal with the subject at hand. 
that's causing the uh, the problem. Yeah, Chuck, your point is well taken. We don't want to have peace at any price because that's no peace. Mm-hmm. We have to walk through the hard conversations. And if you need to ask someone for forgiveness, as hard as that is, that is the thing for you to do. And so something I've been looking at is when do we need to apologize and when do we not? And I've created a flow chart and looking at that and, um, you know, you can view it in light of Scripture. I need to apologize when I've offended someone, when I've been offensive, even if I didn't intend to. Mm-hmm. But the result was that I stepped on someone's in some way. And so my passion is to help people recognize those offenses and be willing to um, talk to people about what's going wrong. And and I think scripturally we know there's a problem with the speck and the log, and, and the way that plays out with offenses is I'm more likely to see how you hurt me than mm-hmm. to see how I'm being offensive or mm-hmm. hurtful. Mm-hmm. And isn't that exactly what our cancel culture is all about? It's all about making up offenses so that the entire culture, world, relationships are set ill at ease, irreconcilable, and then people come forth to try to somehow, basically without sincerity, say, I'm sorry. Like Whoopi Goldberg, just the last couple of weeks. But in reality, she's not sorry at all. She said what she meant. She she meant what she said, and all she's trying to do is recover her career. Yeah, I, I like that you use the word irreconcilable because I do think that's key here. Another thing that we say is we can't judge anyone's heart. So I don't know if your apology is sincere, but I can say if. If you said the word but or if Whoopi did, that's a problem. Well, if you're not willing to recognize the real problem, then you put a but in there. Did you not? Yes. <laughs> okay. And it's not it's not just her. It's all over the news. This is what is uh, carrying much of the news today is creating offenses and creating a, a situation of false repentance, false forgiveness, false apologies, and therefore uh, reducing the entire concept of apology and forgiveness and restoration of relationship and making a mockery of it. Yes, and I comment on apologies in the news on my Twitter feed and on um, Instagram, I'm at the apology expert. Mm. And so we're looking at, um, okay, what are these public figures saying or not saying? Um, and also, who is willing to apologize when they're wrong and who is not? There are some things when a genuine and real offense is committed. There are other situations, which are the most of them these days, where offenses are being created to where it's impossible to even live even one day or even an hour without committing some sort of offense. And I can create uh, an offense out of just about anything. For instance, I'm looking at your book right here, and the pages are all white. That's offensive. This is white privilege, you see. The pages are all white. 
you need to apologize. You should have found brown pages. I'm, I'm, I'm just making being a bit facetious here, but this is how the trend of, of our culture is going, and it's making a mockery of genuine relational uh, sensitivity and the desire uh, to uh, repent, to forgive, and to uh, apologize, it seems to me. Well, I'm glad you used the word sensitivity because that is the key, that we don't want to be going through life like a bull in a china shop, not realizing or not caring about how the people around us are doing. And so coming back to these two essentials for healthy relationships, what we want is for the people around us to know how much they mean to us, Mm -hmm. how much we appreciate them, and then for them to also know that we're willing to admit it when we've done something wrong. Um, And for me, one of the most sad things in our society is when people just give up on trying to work it through. Mm -hmm. A broken communication to me is like a road that had dynamite under it. It blew up. And now I'm looking at you across the way, but I can't get there because Mm -hmm. we don't have a passable road. And so I encourage people to just try to keep the conversation open. And a way to do that is to restate what the other person is saying and not to dig our heels in. Like, I wouldn't refuse to offer an apology to someone. I wouldn't say, no, I didn't do anything wrong, and I'll never apologize for that. Because even if I don't yet understand why they're asking for my apology or I don't agree with it, I still want to keep the conversation open. And so I would listen to them, say back to them what they're saying, and then I might say, you know what, I see it somewhat differently. And then I wouldn't go into it right then. I would actually wait and see if they asked me, really, what do you mean by that, Jen? Uh, Because (laughs) if they're not curious, Mm -hmm. it's not going to go anywhere, right? We're just spilling our or feeding our pearls to swine, right? Uh, So we, we wait and see if there's a curiosity and openness and a level of respect. When it comes to a place of race, voices and arguments, uh, or people arguing late into the night uh, because they don't want to let their son go down on their anger, mm-hmm. what we need to do, um, and what the Greek and Hebrew says, is don't even let the sun go down while you are still angry. Mm-hmm. And In so other words, we, deal with the issue immediately. Yeah, deal with it, and try not to deal with it in an angry and an offensive way. Try to deal with it with curiosity. Like, oh, I haven't heard that expressed before. I'm not sure I see it that way. How did you arrive at that? And then, if you're both believers, can we go to the Scriptures together mm-hmm. and look and see what we find together, and not using it as a weapon against us? You know, as uh, you were talking there, Jennifer, the thought came to me of a song of yesteryear, Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water. And in effect, uh, forgiveness and uh, uh, apology is an act of faith to lay down my pride and myself as a bridge over troubled water to bring reconciliation across the impasse. Exactly. And I like that word, These are, are tough times. I remember, uh, this may come as a surprise to you, but I did major in psychology undergraduate uh, until I went into the practice of law. 
And I, I do appreciate some of the things that I, I learned there, but much of all of that was theory that had almost nothing to do with God's viewpoint concerning relationships. How is it that psychology could have become so disconnected from the creator's reality? Well, that's a big question. That would take us another hour, at least. <laughs> well, that's why I got you right at the last two or three minutes. <laughs> right. But I have been a speaker for groups like uh, the American Association of Christian Counselors. Uh-huh. And we are navigating our way through this and are using psychology to help us understand relationship health and um, real mental health problems that I believe have a biological basis, like depression anxiety, and substance abuse. All right. Now, you say in wrapping up here that there is a cycle, a cycle of uh, forgiveness. So give us that cycle. It's a three-point cycle, I think. Yeah. So forgiveness is really an if-then proposition. It is asking the person to pay the the penalty that, that we've caused through our actions. And so first, we need to acknowledge our offense. Mm-hmm. And really, uh, it, I like the word picture of to forgive is like being at the grocery store and you lay your things on the conveyor belt. So the perpetrator is saying, look, here is exactly what I've brought to this conveyor belt and the price on it is ten <laughs> And then the forgiving partner is the checkout person. Uh, and they're saying... Okay, um, so this is what it costs, ten ninety nine, and it's like the customer says, "But I want you to pay that, mm. so I can I can go on with my stuff." Oh, and so if I'm the checkout person, I'm taking on their penalty, and it's a very generous thing to do to forgive someone. Well, it is, but the interesting price. thing about it is, to forgive does not mean to forget, That's and that right. we need to remember. All right, here is a wonderful book, Five Apology Languages, The Secret to Healthy Relationships. you got to get into it, friend. It's going to be so healing for you, helpful, encouraging, especially at this particular moment. We're talking about our marriages coming up here. $15 on our website, saveus.org. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA and become a partner, friends. Again, even today, we're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.